it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. We have episode 249 today. We are going to answer some great listener questions we got recently. So I will go ahead and get us started. So love your podcast. I wanted to offer some perspective about a question you discussed on IFB 244. An individual asked about DCA and an S&P 500 ETF. The two of you talked about some of the popular ETFs for the S&P, which are SPY and BOO and how to use DCA dollar cost averaging to slowly build a position. The perspective I would offer is that starting out with a small amount could be hard for those ETFs due to the cost they trade at $377 and $346 currently per share. However, there are a lot of low expense ratio mutual funds that track indexes that allow for a young investor to buy in for a set dollar amount. This could be helpful when the amount they have to contribute is low and allows them to get invested sooner without saving up to buy whole shares. That was kind of the end of the commentary. Andrew, would you like to take the first stab at kind of answering the comment and kind of, I guess, clarifying where we were coming from when we answered that question? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Stephanie, for writing in. Very cool. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. If you're tuning in for the first time, DCA or dollar cost averaging is simply investing the same amount of money every single month. And it's one of the best ways to get started and to arguably invest in general. Now, these ETFs, um, SPY and VOO, again, they're just basket of stocks that buy all of the stocks in the S&P 500. The listener is saying that the dollar amount for those is pretty high. So if you were dollar cost averaging, if I was saving $200 a month, I couldn't buy a whole share of something like SPY because it's at $377 a share. To that, I would say it depends on what broker you're using. So if you are in that situation where the amount you're saving every month is lower than the shares you are trying to buy, 
whether that's an ETF or whether that's an individual stock, find a broker who can do partial shares for you. Fidelity is one of the brokers I use. And I pulled up my individual brokerage account. I put in that ticker SPY. I said, oh, is it going to let me buy 0.1 share, which is like 35 bucks? And it totally lets you do that. So again, not all brokerages do that. I know at the time we record this, Ally does not do that. Merrill Edge does not do that, but Fidelity does. So if you're in that situation, we would recommend, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would recommend the ETF over a mutual fund because the ETF is going to have low expense ratio, period. So look for that. And if you're in that situation, look for a broker like Fidelity to do fractional shares. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. And yes, you could put words in my mouth. I would agree with you on the exact same idea. The lower the fees, the better. Think of those as a hurdle rate. If you buy a mutual fund and it charges you 2%, then you have to do at least 2% better to earn any money every single year. And the market will tell you that historically over a long period of time, it will return in the 10-ish range, depending. But there are going to be fluctuations. There are going to be years like this year where eh, not so much. Your S&P 500 return is not going to be so great. Then you would also have the additional 2% hurdle rate to get over that. So I think the S&P is down, well, maybe not today anymore. But as we're recording today, the market is having a bit of a dead cap bounce. It means that it's going up artificially, we think. But who really knows? But I guess my point with all this is that the market has been down 20 25% this year. So if, if you buy a fund that's tracking the S&P 500 and it's charging you 2%, then you have to do 22% to get back to even, not just 20%. So that's something to consider. And so when you're talking about any sort of funds, whether it's index funds or mutual funds, trying to find the ones that are going to offer you the lowest fees are going to be something you definitely want to look for because that's going to help you know increase your returns. You may think, eh, Dave, whatever, 2%, big deal. But if you do that over 20 years, that's 2% that's not compounding for you. It's compounding for the other person that's taking that 2% from you. So, and over a course, I don't know the math, but if you look at that over a course of a 20 year period, that's going to end up being a, a nice big chunk of change. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So again, thank you for sending that commentary that it's helpful information. If you're in a brokerage account that does not offer that, then yeah, that's something to consider. I appreciate you pointing that out. And anything that you guys see that we have additional commentary, please feel free to send it our way. And we'll share it as needed. All right. So let's move on to the next question. So we have, hi guys, I've been a listener of the podcast for a while now, and I'm finally committing to opening an investing account, hoping to dollar cost average in some index funds. Would you recommend investing a sum of the money I currently have saved into the fund before then beginning the monthly process, i.e. adding $100 a month? Or shall I simply start the journey with the first $100 investment and leave what I currently have saved for other things? In addition, would you recommend using dollar cost averaging to invest in other companies, i.e. investing in Apple slash Tesla, or should dollar cost averaging only be used for ETF slash index funds? Thanks so much for all of your help, guys, all you provide, Troy. So this is a great question, Andrew. I'm going to give you the first take at it. Sounds good. Let me have the first crack. Yeah, thank you. So to me, it's not clear what the extra funds are. Obviously, we always advocate get started, do it as soon as you can. Try not to put excuses in your head and just start moving. This isn't a game that you have to have figured out from day one when you start doing it. It's a lifetime journey. So the sooner you can start, the sooner you can make mistakes if you have to or simply get comfortable with what works best for you. 
So I would definitely at least just start that dollar cost averaging process. Do not overcomplicate it. As far as what to do with the money already saved for other things, if it's already in an index fund, I would probably just keep it in there because if you're buying individual stocks for the first time, you're not going to be good at it. I mean, (laughs) some people, I definitely had beginner's luck when I first started. And I think a lot of people do. The danger in that is you start to think that you're better than you are and that can become expensive when you are humbled. That's not to say you can't be good someday, but when you're first starting, it's very unlikely you'll be good. And just because your stocks are going up doesn't mean you're good. It just means beginner's luck. So, you know, if you got a bunch of money in the next fund, I probably wouldn't touch it. And I would kind of just slow and steady try to grow your individual stock portfolio as you grow your own investing skills, stock picking skills. If it's saved for other things, now you're kind of breaching into the personal finance arena of do I want to have this saved? For an emergency fund, I want to have this money saved to, you know, sinking fund almost like I'm going to buy a big thing later. That's kind of out of the realm of what I try to really bring expertise to. And I would say that's more personal. But as far as if we were to assume the questions asking, what do I do with money that's already in an index fund? I would keep it there. And then if I'm trying to do individual stocks, slowly and steadily build that up. But don't be in a rush to have it all figured out and think you're the best investor because it's not likely. Unfortunately, we most of us don't come out of the womb as Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger or add great investor here. Most of us have to learn through the process. And like you, I was lucky out of the gate. And then I bought some other things that I was not so lucky on and uh, did quite poorly on. And it will humble you for sure. The market always comes knocking. And Mr. Market is a crazy person. So they will come and offer you great deals one day and not so great the other deals. I'm, I'm very happy that Troy is starting. That's cause for celebration. Yes. And I applaud you for making the commitment and, and starting to do this because this is going to be your path to financial freedom and wealth. And if you look at over the history of time, the richest people in history have all owned one thing and it's all been businesses, uh, whether it's their own or whether they're others, that's what they've owned. And that's the way that you get wealthy is by owning a business, and, you know, unless you're lucky enough to you know, be part of the Louis Vuitton family and <laughs> Mary are born into, you know, get the ovarian lottery as Warren Buffett likes to say. I guess, you know, the other thing is when I think about people that are starting or maybe they're on the fence or whatnot, Warren Buffett likes to say that the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. The second best time is today. And it's getting started, it doesn't matter that you didn't start yesterday, we're always going to find excuses. We're going to you know, find excuses. We're going to wait for the war in Ukraine to stop. We're going to wait for all the, the hullabaloo about 9-11 to die down. We're going to wait for inflation to go away. We're going to wait till we get this new job. There is always a reason and there's always an excuse. But the sooner that we can start, the sooner we can get where we want to go. And it's not always going to be easy. You're going to make mistakes, but part of making mistakes is part of the learning process as long as you take it that way. And you continue to learn from those mistakes and continue to, I guess, improve. So I guess part of his other question that I'd like to kind of get to was, do we advocate dollar cost averaging only for ETF slash index funds or stocks or both? Or how do we think about that? When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. 
Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm almost interpreting it like if you want to buy Apple, do you buy it six months in a row kind of a thing or Tesla or whatever the stock is. And I feel like that's been the age old question that we've tried to answer several times. I don't know. How would you look at that? It's a hard question. I think the way that I, I guess, have looked at it and tried to look at it is trying to build up my portfolio name by name to a point where I get comfortable with the numbers that I have. And like right now, I think I have 14 companies in my portfolio. And so instead of trying to expand on those 14 right now, with the market being the way it is, I'm trying to put more money into the names I already own because arguably those are the ones that I know the best. And so that's kind of the way that I've been trying to approach it, especially because some of the companies that I do own have been beaten down a little bit by Mr. Market. And so they're offering, I feel like, are really good deals on those companies. But I personally have never bought a company six months in a row. You know, you could argue that you know we all should have been buying Apple, Microsoft, Google, <laughs> you know, et cetera, over the last six months, every month in a row, but well, up until recently. So I think, I mean, it's an interesting question. It kind of comes back to, it depends. You need to do what's going to work best for you. I guess my suggestion in the way that I would approach it is if I was in Troy's position is I would find, I would invest a hundred dollars every month into the best investment that I could make that particular month. And if it happens to be Apple for three months in a row, then I would buy Apple for three months in a row. And then if the next month it's maybe, you know, just insert name here, Visa, or it could be anything. 
then I would buy Visa the next month. And then maybe I would buy another company and just kind of gradually try to build it up. You don't have to get to 25 positions overnight. It is not a race. And so I guess that's the way I would approach it. I'd like to hear from Sir Andrew on how he would approach the idea. One of the things I did right when I started the Real Money Portfolio back in 2014 was I dollar cost average into a new stock every month. And so, you know, Dave, you talk about having 14 positions. That's a pretty balanced diversified portfolio. Like you said, to have a diversified balanced portfolio from day one, it's just not really going to happen. And if it does, you're, you're probably buying some companies at a higher price than you should. So I totally agree. Look at what the best deals are out there. But if I was Troy starting from day one, if there was one thing I did right, it was building that portfolio with diversified names first and foremost. Because even a company as great as Apple would not have been a great investment depending on what price you paid. And you know, you could argue with hindsight, well, you could have bought Apple at any price and it would be great because of how much it's risen. But it all depends on what time we're talking about, right? I mean, I struggle to find a stock where you could have bought it at any price and it would be okay outside of like the Teslas of the world. But then again, five, 10 years from now, is a company like Tesla, is that still going to be true for a company like Tesla? It sounds really complex, right? And, and it really is like, who's defining the starting line and who's defining the ending line? So all of that to say is there's no right or wrong answer for any one stock when you're buying it. What is a wrong answer is if you load up on Apple six times in a row and then it's one of those time periods, it's not a good time to buy Apple. And now you feel like you are a bad investor because you made one mistake. And so just like you can have beginner's luck, you could have bad luck in the beginning and think that means I'm not a good investor. And that's not true at all. So for me, I would want to caution, just try to build a diversified portfolio. And then once you're at 15, 20, 25 positions, then maybe you look at it a little bit different. I would try to make things diversified and balanced and be flexible with what your idea of a good investment is and what the reality actually might be. And don't be afraid to look for help too. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a great answer. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. All right, so moving on to the next one. This is the tail end of one of the questions we got. So I'll just... I'll throw this one in here. There are platforms that do valuation, like Guru Focus, for example. Their valuations were slightly different than yours. Can you address the utility of these types of sites for those of us who struggle to do valuation on our own? So Dave, like, what's valuation for somebody who has no idea what that means? And then <laughs> how do you approach this question? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a great question. So Valuation, for those of you out there that are not familiar with this term, basically what it means is we are trying to determine the intrinsic value of a particular investment. So I think the easiest way to describe it is think of a car. When you go to buy a car at a car dealership, you have in mind a value you think the vehicle that you're trying to buy is worth, whatever that may be. You may or may not have done due diligence, and i.e. looked at Kelly Blue Book or other websites online to kind of get a gauge for what the prices are for that particular vehicle. And then when you go to that dealership, you can determine if you think that the, I'll just use $30,000 is a fair price for that car, then you can decide whether that's something you want to buy or not. Same idea applies with buying stocks. You have to determine 
whether you think the value of that company is worth the price that it's selling for in the market. You have to think about the market is basically a selling place. There's somebody buying and selling shares of Apple every single day. And Mr. Market is there to present them to us as a deal or not a deal. And so our job is to try to figure out when he comes knocking at the door is the price that they're offering me today. Let's say it's $140 just as an example. Do we think that's a fair price? And if it is, then we can buy. If we think it's too expensive, then we can pass. Or if we think it's really cheap, then we can buy more. So it, it really comes down to that. But valuation is the method that you would use to try to determine the value of that particular company. Does that help kind of clarify it, you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there are websites out there that offer help to figure out how to value companies. And I think that some of them are great. Some of them are probably not so great. And I'm not going to pick on people. That's not my job here. But one of the things that I will say about Guru Focus is is a site that I have used a lot in the past. And they have a valuation model on there. And I used it from time to time. I moved away from it because I, as I learned more, I just felt like that there were better opportunities to find ways to value the companies. And without getting into the nitty gritty of it, the Refocus has a different philosophy, I guess you would say, of how to assign a discount rate. And without boring everybody with numbers and whatnot, a discount rate is basically a way of thinking of a hurdle rate that you want to invest in. So if, if somebody says, my discount rate is 8%, then you need to make better than 8% for it to be a good return for you to invest in that company. And so that's kind of the way you can kind of think about it. And so with in particular with Guru Focus, their idea to establish a hurdle rate, I don't necessarily agree with. And so that's why I kind of moved away from the platform. So I guess what are your thoughts on like websites that kind of use this and those kinds of ideas? So like what's the downside to what do you mean they had you set a hurdle rate? I guess for clarification, I also used to use their tool. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great learning process to learning valuation because it's mm-hmm. very, very simple. Yes, it um, is. But I don't I don't know if I remember this setting discount rate. So what do you mean by the way that they did it was instead of when they there could be some math involved in creating or establishing a, a discount rate. And one of the things that they did was instead of adjusting it for interest rates that are going on globally, they set it at a fixed amount. And then everything else around really? it, yeah, it changes. To me, I think bottom line, I think any evaluation tool can be helpful, but I wouldn't use it as an end-all be-all because the tool is really only as useful as the person who's using it. And I know if you're like new to investing, that all sounds kind of weird and kind of crazy, but there's a lot of truth to it. And I really like that car example you mentioned earlier. Because I kind of look at it like you might look like a Tesla or a BMW, you know, a Tessie or a Beamer. And to some people, that's like a fair price to pay for a car like that. And to other people, they look at you like you're insane. And a lot of times you have stocks like that. But at a certain, if you go down the, the price scale on cars, at a certain point, there's a certain value that I know this car is going to get me this many miles And outside of the bells and whistles, it's a good price for me because I know I'm going to get this many miles. And I think you can think of stocks in that way a lot too, because 
we can all disagree on whether Tessie or Beamer is better. But what we can't disagree on is is what a business is producing, what are the miles it's giving you. And for businesses, it's cash flows. And so that's where valuation comes in. And that's where Guru Focus is trying to teach you. We have a tool that tries to teach you, which is called the little package evaluation. But it, until you understand the nuts and bolts of the cash flows, then it's, it is really hard to do evaluation. And so... There are a lot of different shortcuts to valuation, which I think can be very, very helpful. Things like price to earnings and price to sales. And these are things we've all covered in our archives if you go back to our previous episodes. So, you know, you don't have to know how to build a car to drive the car, but it helps a lot to understand why cars are being priced as they are when you understand the nuts and bolts. And so that's. I hope that's helpful in the sense that like, it doesn't matter how you get there if you're trying to get there and you don't have to know how to build a car necessarily, but it helps a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. And without getting into the the weeds of the particulars of learning this particular skill, it takes some time to learn some of these concepts and some of these ideas. And we have a lot of great resources on the website that talk a lot about this. This is something that Andrew and I have spent a lot of time working through ourselves, talking about amongst ourselves. The thing about valuation is it can be particular to each person, kind of like Andrew was saying. Andrew and I agree on a a vast majority of things that we think about when it comes to finance and companies we want to buy and whatnot. But even he and I, who have spent a lot of time writing and learning about how to value a company, don't always... We have different ways of doing it. And it doesn't mean that his is better than mine or vice versa. Mine's better. But, <laughs> but there's lots of ways to, you know, kind of hate this phrase, skin a cat. And there's lots of ways to go about doing it. And there's basic rules that you kind of need to follow. But then beyond that, it, it kind of comes down to what works best for you. And like Andrew was saying, he put it very well. What you think may think is expensive, other people may not and vice versa. And the same applies to investing. And so anybody that's out there that's starting down this path, A, be patient. It's going to take some time. B, you will make mistakes. Lord knows I did. And C, keep at it. A water dripping on stone will eventually make an impression. Keep at it. You'll get it. It just takes a little bit of time. But one day you're going to be like, ah, I get it. And it's going to be an awesome feeling. But just be patient with yourself. It does take time, and but you can do it. And so I hope that kind of helps answer that question. So to move on to the last uh, question here. So we have, as a young investor who has been following your monthly subscription, who has $5,000 to invest on top of DCA, could you give me the benefits of uh, owning ELV shares compared to owning Google? Thank you. So I think we can probably insert any other company Google or Microsoft or Berkshire, doesn't matter. So what would be, I guess, your answer to this question, Sir Andrew? I would say, first, it's awesome you're young and you're getting started. Second, you've got good disposable income, which is also a win. And third, thank you for your business. I guess my hope is that you read the e-letter and you try to ingest it. And if you've read it, its goal is to give you a reason to buy a stock and its risks try to give you a balanced reason. And so if that company just hasn't done it for you, then I don't know what else to say because I literally, that's the whole goal of that monthly e-letter. So there's a myriad of reasons why I recommended that stock and they're in the e-letter. I don't know what else to say about it. I think on a broad, big picture scale, it's looking for businesses 
that we're going to try to hold for a long time. It's buying businesses that pay a dividend because that helps with the kind of keeping management honest. We're kind of seeing what happens when that doesn't happen with Meta. And it's trying to buy these businesses at a good price. And so not every stock's going to end up that way, but that's the principles behind the e-leather. And you'll be able to read in each issue what makes this business have basically a competitive advantage or a reason why it should continue to generate the cash flows that it is. And so ELV is a great company. It's in a fantastic position. And there are all these reasons why we're buying it and they're in the issue. So I guess the way that I would look at it, this is a fantastic question. But one of the advantages to working with Andrew and following what he's doing and helping him sometimes with some of his thoughts with some of these companies is you get to learn how somebody thinks about buying different companies. And sometimes you want to look beyond the lessons of what the company is actually just the actual, like, I guess, first level, hey, just buy this company. There's other things to think about when you read about any company. There's lots of great bloggers and writers out there that I'll read about a company that for me is not something I'm going to invest in, but it is, I can learn lessons from that. And those are other things that you can learn from the e-letter besides investing in ELV. And when you try to think about building a portfolio, that's what Andrew is working on is building a portfolio and people can invest alongside him with their own money while he's doing his own money buying these companies and they can build a portfolio with them. And you have to think about the principles that he's trying to create and what he's trying to do. He kind of gave you a kind of a quick outline of these are the companies that I'm going to buy. This is why I'm buying them. These are the risks involved in buying the company. And that's very important. A lot of times you'll get commentary about buying or selling different companies, but they don't give you the whole picture of what's good and what's bad. And it's sometimes just as important to think about the downside as it is to the upside, because by not buying losers, you can win in the long run too. So there's advantages to that. And I think sometimes you have to kind of remove the, hey, I could buy this versus this kind of thing, because that could be an endless rabbit hole and you can get stuck in inertia of never actually investing in something. You can look at, there's an infinite number of myriad of number of stocks that you can invest in. But do they all offer a margin of safety? Do they all offer a dividend? Do they all offer the ability to continue to grow over a long period of time? Some of them may be short term, you know, awesome companies. You know, you could probably look at 10 different companies that have been hammered since COVID has receded and have not done very well that two years ago, everybody said, you have to buy this. You have to buy this. Well, that hasn't worked out so well. And so you have to think about where we're coming from. We're looking at guys like Buffett, Munger, you know, those kinds of investors that have bought companies and held them for a long time and have had kind of the same kind of principles. When you look at each company that they buy, they all kind of have a commonality to them, whether it's Coca-Cola, American Express, Apple, BNSF, the railroad, Geico, they all seize candy. It just, the list goes on and on and on. So I guess my point is with all this is that the e-letter is not always just about the company you're buying. It's also about learning principles that you can use to become a better investor yourself, you know, over time. And as you learn more things, you can find other things that are going to be interesting to you that will help you become an investor. It's all about building a toolkit. And that's what I look at Andrew's e-letter as part of the toolkit that can help you become a better investor. Thanks. 
You're welcome. All right. So with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions and the great commentary. Again, if there are things that you notice that could be helpful to our listeners, please, by all means, share them with us. We've asked you a few questions, kind of trying to get some feedback from you guys on different ideas or different tools that we could share with our listeners. So those kinds of things are are always great. If you want to stay in the know on what's going on with our company, with our business, or just find out what we're thinking, uh, please consider signing up for our e-letter. You can find that at podcastpdf.com. And just click that link and then you could sign up for our e-letter and you can get all kinds of great stuff from us on a weekly basis. <laughs> all right. So without any further ado, I will go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.